The need of the hour is prayer. You might agree with that this morning. The need of the hour is prayer. Let me give you a couple of reasons uh, that our prayer life should be improved. One reason that we should pray is because of our strong families. Anybody here have a strong family that you love and you're close to? And uh, I want you to notice on the screen here is a picture of my daughter. Uh, my daughter just last week was in Peru. And uh, in Peru, she sent me this picture. Isn't she beautiful? That's, uh, I'm, I'm a biased dad, but uh, there's my daughter in the back of a pickup truck. So she sends this picture from Peru where she's there on a mission trip. Under the picture was this caption, pretending I'm not anxious because I'm riding in the back of a truck on the side of a steep mountain. When I say that will increase my prayer life, do you understand what I'm talking about? Another reason that our prayer life should be strengthened is not only because of our strong families, but also because of our weak churches and weak Christians. I don't know if you agree with me with that or not, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting uh, reading and I'm, I'm kept trying to keep up with the, the church and the culture and the church in America and the church locally, uh, this church as well. And, uh, and I would say to you, personal opinion, that one reason that we should be mindful and prayerful is because of weak churches and weak Christians. Andrew Murray has written a book called Living a Prayerful Life. I've given this book to our deacons and to our staff. I'm reading through it and just diving into it. And in the book, Living a Prayerful Life, uh, I would let you know that this came out of a pastor's conference from the year 1912, 106 years ago. And out of this pastor's conference, 106 years ago, this book was written. By chance, were any of you there 106 years ago? <clears throat> Al, Al is, <laughs> I want you to notice on the screen, Andrew Murray has written this book, Living a Prayerful Life in 1912. The issue that brought these pastors together for this conference was they had looked around, like I've looked around, like many have looked around, and the conclusion is there is a low spiritual state of the church. The church is suffering. The church is not the powerful, God-filled uh, uh, organism that God had created it to be. The church was, was weak out in the community. The members of the church likewise were weak. And so out of that, these churches got together and they said, here's the issue, the low spiritual state of the church. And as they, as they talked, as they prayed, as they studied, as they came together, they discovered that the cause of the low spiritual state of the church was both unbelief and sin. As they talked, as they prayed, what, what's going on in our churches? And they said there's two things. On the one hand is unbelief. We don't believe God. We say we do. We profess our faith and we go to church. But they were saying in the year 1912, we really don't believe God because our actions don't follow what we say we believe and also sin. The sin of unbelief and then just sin in the life and in the body of Christ. That's what was happening in the year 1912. And I would venture to say, personal opinion, here in the year 2018, there's a lot of that going around today. So they identified the issue, the low spiritual state of the church. They identified the cause of unbelief and sin. And then they came to the very core. What is the core of this? And the core is prayerlessness. 
They said, as we narrow this thing down, let's, let's hit the bullseye. What is it that's going on or not going on in the life of the Christian and the life of the church? That, that is the, the, what is the issue? And they determined out of that conference in the year 1912 that prayerlessness was indeed the cause. Let me share a couple of, of, of items from the book there that uh, Andrew Murray writes. He says, our whole relationship to the Lord Jesus must be a new thing. We can't just sit back and, and rest on where we've been and what God's done in our life. We've got to continually be moving forward. And then he said this, I must believe in his infinite love, which longs to have communion with me every moment and to keep me in the enjoyment of his fellowship. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Secondly, he says, I must believe in his divine power, which has conquered sin. Somebody say amen to that conquered sin and will truly keep me from it. The only power I have to overcome sin is the power of him who conquered sin and lives inside of me. I can't do it on my own. Thirdly, he says, I must believe in him who will inspire joy and power for communion with God in prayer. Let me ask you, is anybody here today that would love to have a fresh infusion in your life of joy. Anybody here like that? You say amen. Now joy, I could use some joy. Well, it comes from a communion with God in prayer. How about, how about power in your spiritual life? Have you noticed, like I have, and like Andrew Murray has written about, and the same thing that was true in the Bible and throughout history, that there are those times, there are those seasons, when it seems like spiritual power is weak and absent. Have you noticed that? Could you use some power in your life as spiritual power? Could you use some spiritual power? Could we use it in our church? And could the church use that today? Throughout history, we find there are these seasons where across the board, there seems to be a spiritual weakness and a lack of spiritual power. And this we know, God has not changed. So we find that prayer is vital in the life of the church and in the life of the believer and that much of the low spiritual state of the church and the Christian comes from the sin of unbelief and from prayerlessness. Now, I, I want to be clear this morning. I'm not here to beat you up about your prayer life. Aren't you glad about that? I'm not here to beat you up about your prayer life. I'm here today to identify and to encourage prayer in the life of the Christian and in the life of the church. When you came in, you either got, if you didn't on the way out, please pick up a little uh, thing I put together, a supplemental to the sermon. I couldn't get it all in, so I gave you a handout. Don't look at it now while I'm preaching, please, but uh, uh, later, if you would, just look at that. There's some, some guidelines in there concerning prayer that I want to put in your hands to take home with, to look in your Bible, to, to pray through these things, and to look and see how our prayer lives might be encouraged. We've been looking the last several weeks at the theme of grow. Sometimes we, we, we think about growing as a church and we think about the numbers growing and certainly we're fine with the numbers growing. We, we, we should be growing numerically because healthy things grow and, and certainly that's true. But, but the theme of this has not been so much numerical growth but personal discipleship spiritual growth. G-R-O-W. I've been encouraging you with these four letters, these four words uh, for your personal growth as a believer to gather with other believers, G to renew your mind, that's R, with the Word of God, to observe or obey what the Word of God says, that's O, and then to worship. 
And, and I want to be very clear. I'm not just talking about attending a worship service, although that's important, but leading us or seeking that we might not just attend, but participate in the worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me invite you to stand with me. Our key passage for the last several weeks has been 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. <clears throat> Today is the last of these messages, and uh, so we'll be moving on to 1 Peter starting next week. A little different theme in the messages, but, uh, but, but as we look for the last time in this series at 2 Peter 3, 18, the words are going to be on the screen. I'd like to ask you to read these out loud with me, and then I'll pray for us. Ready? Let's read together. But continually grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, would you spark within us that which we cannot do ourselves? Would you spark within us a desire to grow? To grow, Lord, in our faith. To grow, Lord, in our dependence upon you. To grow, Lord, in our realization that we cannot live this Christian life on our own. We need you. We desperately need you. And in our desperation, may we find that you are the fulfillment. You are the joy. You are the power. You give us communion with yourself. And you use us to take the wonderful message of Christ around the block and around the world for the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Please be seated. Well, the last three weeks, we've been looking at some key components to help us grow. We looked at the issue of Bible knowledge, how we can be motivated to read the Bible and make it more personal in our, in our lives. Then we looked at the importance of telling others about the hope that we have, the hope of Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week. Each evening, we've had a, an intensive, a, a coming together, and we've had some great feedback on those who have been at our Sunday evening intensive. Today, we're finalizing the, the, this, these last of three as we talk about prayer, and as Rodney mentioned, and as I would love to have you come this afternoon, 4.30, right here in the worship center, on a big screen, we're going to have the movie War Room, which is about prayer, and I, I cannot tell you how relevant it is to each and every one of our lives today. Now today, I want to focus on a passage of scripture from Acts chapter 12. Let me invite you to turn there in your Bible, Acts chapter 12, as we look at a prayer service and we see what happens, some surprising results of a prayer meeting. And uh, we're going to look and see that this story here in Acts 12 gives us five valuable and I would even say humorous lessons about prayer. Could you use some lessons about prayer today? Amen. All right, we can. So, so let's start, first of all, look at verse 1 through 5 with me Underst and understand this. We should pray. Emphasis on should. Raise your hand in silent testimony if there's anything in your life you should do but you don't do. Raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you what it is. All right, hands across the way. Some of you are thinking, I should raise my hand, but I won't. I understand that. <laughs> there's lots of things in our lives we could identify we should do, but we don't. Among those that we should do as believers and followers of Christ, we should pray. Listen to, to verses 1 through 5. About the time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the time, the days, of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, 
intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now set the stage. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's ascended up into heaven, and, and uh, the church is beginning to flourish. The Holy Spirit had come. All these things were happening. It was, a, it was a great day, but persecution began to come from outside the church, persecuting those inside the church, and it was significantly violent. Notice again verse 1. The king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Some were killed, some were in prison, some we know by name, uh, some we know just by circumstance. Uh, uh, Saul, the apostle, had gotten involved in this uh, before his conversion as well. And so, so it was a violent time for the church. Part of me wants to ask you, isn't it, isn't it wonderful that those days no longer exist? But those days do exist. According to opendoorsusa.org, a ministry uh, of the persecuted church, uh, on their website it says this, Christians throughout the world continue to risk imprisonment, loss of home and assets, torture, beheadings, rape, and even death as a result of their faith. Not because of their color of their skin, not because of their, their location, their geography, their family, their history, only because of their faith in Lord Jesus Christ. There are Christians throughout history and throughout our world today whose lives are on the line simply because of their faith. The world has often been, throughout the Bible and throughout history, a dangerous place for followers of our Lord Jesus. Not to mention the ongoing issues that we face today. Not only should we pray because there are those who are persecuted, but there are ongoing spiritual issues in all of our lives. Issues of, of, of job and family, issues of spiritual growth that I hope you have a, a, a leading of the Spirit of God in your heart that says, I want to grow in my faith. There are issues of finances and issues of culture and issues of, of temptation, issues of trials, issues of health, all the things that swirl around us. Listen, we should pray. You might say amen to that. We should pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. There should always be a spirit of prayer among us and within us. And I'm going to say this right now with full 100% certainty. Every person in this room right now is going through something or facing something that right now you know what it is. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and say what it is, but you know what it is right now, some issue you're facing and you're going through that you need to pray and you're compelled to pray because it is bigger than you are. Listen, we should pray. Secondly, I want you to notice God answers prayer. Starting in verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself, put on your sandals, and he did so. And then he said, Wrap the cloak around yourself and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel that it was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10, when they passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and when they went out and went along on uh, one street, and immediately the angel left him. Peter had been delivered supernaturally by God from the prison. A miracle is taking place. Verse 11, 
when Peter came to himself, what does that mean? We thought he was seeing a vision. He thought, this can't really be happening. You ever been there somewhere? This can't really be happening. And suddenly he realized it has happened. Here I am outside the prison and the angel has gone. He said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people uh, were expecting. And so here we see that the church, we read about it in verse 5, the church was earnestly praying for Peter. What does it mean to earnestly pray? If you and I are going to earnestly pray, here's what, here's what it takes. It takes time. It's more than just a 10-second, Lord, would you be with me as I face this trial? It, it's more than 10 seconds. It, it takes time if you and I are going to pray earnestly. It also takes passion. Passion comes from our heart. And passion comes from, from all that wells up inside of us. It takes time. It takes passion. And listen, it takes faith that God is who he says he is. And God can do what God says he can do. And God will do what God purposes to do. So, so there was earnest prayer taking place there. And it reminds us that as we pray, God answers. God answers our prayers. Do you know God answers our prayers? There's four basic ways God answers prayer. Sometimes God answers yes. Don't you love it when God answers yes? Amen. Have there ever been a time in your life you've prayed for something very specific? Oh, God, would you do this? And before you know it, God has done it. And we say, hallelujah, praise the Lord for that. So one way God answers prayer is yes, right now. Sometimes God answers prayer and he says no. That's not my purpose. That's not my plan. That's not my will. No. Don't you hate it when God says no? <laughs> but aren't you glad God says no because he knows so much better than we do? Sometimes God answers yes. Sometimes he answers no. Sometimes he answers wait. You've asked the right thing in the right way, but the timing is not there yet. And we're th I'm thinking, well, the timing's fine with me. <laughs> Don't you hate it when God says wait? Yeah. Aren't you thankful when God says wait? Because his timing is always perfect. Have you ever looked back on something you prayed for and you prayed for and you prayed for and you wondered why is this taking so long? And when God answers it, it's like, wow, this is amazing that God did it in this way. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes wait, and sometimes God answers it differently than you pray. The issue is correct. The request is not according to his purpose and plan. So he does answer our prayers, but he answers our prayers differently. Don't you hate it when God answers your prayers differently? But aren't you thankful that he answers your prayers differently? Because his purpose, his plan, his will all works out according to his glory. Psalm 37 and verse 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, or delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you know how to get God to answer every prayer you pray uh, the way that you pray it? It's not to get God in on what you want him to do. It's that you get in on what God wants you to do. And when we pray and learn to pray according to his will, the delight comes that he does his will, his purpose, his way, and we just say, wow, God, that's awesome. Number three, we should not doubt that God can answer prayer. We should not doubt that God can answer prayer. Do you believe God can answer prayer? Do you believe that? Well, here, notice, the church was praying for Peter. They were praying earnestly for Peter. What do you think they were praying? Well, they were praying, Lord, would you keep him safe? 
Lord, would you keep him alive? We just heard what happened to, to John, James and John. We, we, we've heard what happened to this one and that one. Lord, keep him safe. Lord, would you, would you preserve his testimony that wherever he's at, in front of Herod or in front of the guards or wherever he is, Lord, preserve his testimony that he might speak boldly for the gospel and be used of you. So the church was praying earnestly. And, and notice again in verse 12, when he realized this, Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Again, a reminder. They, were, they had come together. They'd been listening to Pastor Mark's sermon on Grow because they, gee, they gathered. Amen? You with me on that? They were gathered together and they were praying. We know they were praying earnestly. And when Peter knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, listen to this, she did not open the gate. But she ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Now, now picture this scene. In, in that day and time, you would have gone to the house, there would have been a big wall, and in the wall there would have been a gate. And if you go in the gate, you would be in a courtyard, and on the other side of the courtyard was the house. And so Peter was banging on the gate, and the servant girl came out. She heard, hey, it's Peter. She didn't open the door. She runs into the house where they're doing what? They're praying. How are they praying? Earnestly. And she says, listen, I love this. This is the humorous part. And so, so, so she, uh, uh, verse, she leaves Peter standing at the gate. And then, then notice uh, that the church doubted that God answered their prayer just the way they prayed it. God said yes, and they didn't believe him. So she, so she runs and tells them, Peter's at the gate. Hey, y'all are praying for Peter to be delivered. Let me interrupt the prayer meeting because he's delivered. And notice, notice verse number 15. They said to her, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. In other words, he's died, and it's his angel come to say goodbye. So, so here they are. Here's Peter. Picture if you will. Peter's on, out there in the, in the alleyway, in the street. He's just escaped from prison. He's looking over his shoulder. Let me in. Hey, it's me. It's Peter. Let me in. So Rhoda hears it, runs inside and says, Hey, Peter's out there. They say, That's not Peter. Well, it is Peter. Well, that's not Peter. It can't be him. Well, it is Peter. And here's Peter saying, Let me in. <laughs> the obvious response is, Somebody open the door. Let's see who it is. Luke 18.1, Jesus told a parable to the effect that they should always pray and not lose heart. Sometimes God answers our prayer, and even in the answer of prayer, we doubt Him. Number four, we should not be surprised when God does answer prayer. We should not be surprised when God does answer prayer. Verse 16, Peter continued knocking. Hey, is anybody in there? And when they opened, they saw Him and were amazed. They were amazed that Peter was there. They were not surprised he was there. It didn't say they were surprised, but they were amazed. Let me tell you something real quick. We should, we should never be surprised that God does answer prayer. We should always be amazed that God answers prayer. Not surprised, because God can do anything, but amazed that he's answered prayer. It's clearly something from God. This past summer, when you were gracious enough to allow me to be gone for a few weeks on a sabbatical one of the places that, that we went to church was in New York City, the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And we went to, Pam and I went to the Tuesday night prayer service at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. We were traveling with our friends Don and Debbie. 
And so we're there at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and in, in this prayer meeting on Tuesday night, two things happened that, that, were, that were just amazing. My friend Don had been to the Brooklyn Tabernacle before, and he had told me in the past he had gone to this prayer meeting, and one time he was at the prayer meeting, and this, this lady comes by, a very, very aged lady comes by, and she's passing out to people little pieces of paper on which she's written some prayer requests, and she's testifying to the goodness of God. So we're sitting there. I'm sitting on, on the aisle, and then there's Pam, and then Debbie, and then Don, and Don is looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and, and he's telling me about this, and all of a sudden I realize there's somebody standing beside of me. And I look, and I hear Don say, that's her. And this lady hands me this little handwritten note. I've got a copy of it right here. I want you to see it on the screen up there, too. It's a handwritten note. Every Tuesday night, she comes to prayer meeting with some gospel tracts and some handwritten notes. She talks to people. She testifies, and she gives them a little note. Don had told me it had been about five years, and she was about 85 years old when, when he saw her and got his little note, and she's talking to Pam and I, and she's, she's testifying to God's goodness and says, here I am, 90 years old. I want to read for you what that note says. You may can read part of it on the screen, but I want to read it for you. She writes this, our daily prayer, God of creation, your walk, your willing, none should perish. Jesus paid the price for all on the cross. God says, love one another. Pray one for another. Let us pray for every person over the universe that God who knows the heart of all will make a way for their deliverance. He is faithful to his holy word. Please read all scriptures. She had written several scriptures on there. And know God will hear our prayer for his creation God's blessings love you, and guess what her name is? How'd you know that? Elizabeth. Love you, Elizabeth. She testifies to God's goodness, God's answered prayer, and she enumerated several things, several ways that God had answered her prayers, and we stood there in awe. At that same service, we had seen a video at the beginning of the service advertising that that coming Sunday, there was going to be a special testimony uh, by a lady named Cynthia. And it showed a little video of Cynthia's testimony, little bits and pieces of it, how Cynthia had been involved in uh, a, a terrible upbringing, had been raped as a young girl, had given her life over to prostitution and dancing at a, at a strip club and, and several things, and had found her way to Jesus. And so we had seen that, that video on the screen. Well, at, at some point while we're, while we're there in, in the service, uh, Debbie, remember Don and Debbie are with Pam and I, Debbie gets up to go to the restroom. And while she's going to the restroom, this lady literally chases her down and gets her attention and says to Debbie, the Lord has just spoken to my heart to follow you and find you. I've never seen you in my life, but he wants you to know, don't give up praying. And Debbie just broke, at, broke down. If you knew Debbie at all, she just she broke down crying because she had been praying over something very heavy on her heart and had come there that night praying for that same thing on her heart. And this lady had come up and said, said God told me to find you and chase you down. She said, I chased you from the front of the sanctuary up to the top, down the stairs, and to the ladies' restroom to tell you, don't give up praying. And it was Cynthia from the video that chased her down. We should not be surprised when God does answer prayer. Number, number five, and lastly, 
Answered prayer should become a testimony. When prayer is answered, we shouldn't bottle it up inside. We should let it be a testimony to the goodness and greatness of God. Verse 17, But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, Peter described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and he said, Tell these things to James and the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place where they would let him in without knocking so much. I put that in at the end. He said, he described what happened and he said, tell this stuff. Tell these things to, and you fill in the blank. Tell these things to people. Too often as Christians, we hide it when God answers our prayers. Too often as Christians, we, we neglect to, to tell of his goodness, his greatness, his glory, his, his, his answer to our prayers. And some, how God said yes, and even how God said no, and how God said wait, and how God answers differently. We, we, we fail to be looking for that, and when it happens, we fail to tell others about the goodness and greatness of God. Why is it there's such a low spiritual state in churches across our nation and across our world and across our area and in some cases, forgive me if you disagree, but at Ridgecrest Baptist Church? It's because we're not believing and we're not looking and when God moves, we're not testifying. And that's holding us back from experiencing exactly what God wants to do in our lives, in our church, in our churches, and in our world. Let me give you a couple of things that happen when we do testify. When, when you tell your friend how God has answered your prayer, when you tell your Sunday School Connect group how God has moved in your life, when you talk to the person at work or down the street and tell them the wonderful things God has done, here are some things that happen. On, on the one hand, it strengthens other believers. When I hear your story of how faithful God's been to you, it strengthens me. When I hear your story, it increases my own prayer life. When, when, when this lady walked around the Brooklyn Tabernacle and handed me that little sheet of paper, it was very humbling and it was also very motivating. I said, I want to be 90 years old walking through church with little slips of paper telling people how good God is because he's answered my prayer. I want to be like that. It motivates prayer. It also inspires worship. When, when this happened with Peter, they were, they were amazed and this word amazed is, is, is often used to describe worship when we get into the presence of God and we're just amazed at who he is. How do we know who he is? How do we know what he does? Well, we, we know that when this person testifies and that person testifies and this person testifies, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. And it motivates people to faith. There are songs about answered prayer. Maybe you've heard some of them. I won't sing them right now, but... Uh, uh, a couple of, of the lines. You're welcome, by the way. It is no secret what God can do, what He's done for others. You know that song, don't you? Count your blessings. Name them. Testify to what God has done. And I just mentioned this one. Let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. What, what has He done for you? What has the Lord done for you? Well, there's the cross. That's what He's done for you. There's the cross where Jesus spread his arms and was pierced by nails and bled and suffered and died in your place and for your sin. That's what he's done for you. There's the grace that he's given you to, to not hold you accountable for your sins, but to set you free and hold you not accountable for your sins because of what Jesus has done. There's the gracious gift of eternal life that gives us both comfort for our loved ones who are believers that go on from this life, and it also gives us a motivation to know we can endure anything 
knowing that eternal life is coming. What has he done? He's given us the privilege of prayer to communicate with him, to share our burdens, to worship him, to talk directly to the God of the universe, to hear from him. And yet we spend so woefully little time doing that. What has he given us? He's given us the Lord's Supper that we might remember the cross and the price and that we might, as it says in 1 Corinthians 11, that we might proclaim the Lord's death until he comes because he is not dead, he is alive and lives forevermore. I'm going to pray. And uh, as I begin to pray, our deacon's going to get in place here at the table. And after I pray, we're going to invite you to come forward to participate in the Lord's Supper. Who is the Lord's Supper for? The Lord's Supper is for believers and followers of Jesus. And if you are today a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come and participate. If you're here today and you're not a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus, first of all, I want to thank you for being in our worship service. And I want to invite you as others come to, to you might understand what's going on. The, the people that come forward will take a piece of bread. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we take a piece of bread to be reminded Jesus died on the cross. His body was broken. And we take a little cup of juice. And Jesus said, this, this cup is, is a cup of the, of the new covenant in my blood. He's reminding us that his blood was shed that we might have the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternal life. His body was broken. His blood was shed. The bread and the juice. And there's a trash can just out to the side. You can drop your cup in there. We would invite you to come forward down the aisle. And as you go back to your seat, just go back around the outside. And everything should flow nice and smoothly. Then we'll uh, complete our service here in just a few moments. If you're here today and you'd like to participate in the Lord's Supper, but physically it's hard for you to walk forward or you can't, then you just pause till the end. And as, every, as the line winds down, we'll start looking. Just raise your hand, and our deacons will be glad to bring the Lord's Supper to you, and, uh, and we'll dismiss. At the end of our service today, there'll be two deacons at the door, and they'll be receiving our benevolence offering, which we always receive at a time like this, and uh, that's been designated to go towards hurricane disaster relief uh, is where that will be going today. I want to invite you to, uh, to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to invite our deacons to go ahead and to get in place, if they would. And after I pray... The music will begin, and uh, you begin coming forward. You don't all have to come at once. Take your time where you are. Make it a worshipful experience. Spend time with the Lord. Talk to Him. Listen to Him. See what He has to say to you. Our Heavenly Father, I pray and I ask you to be with us in this time of worship. I pray that we indeed might be reminded of your body that was broken for us and of your blood that was spilled for us. And that as a result, Lord, as believers and followers of Christ, we might be encouraged, that we might be filled with your spirit, that we might be motivated to go out and live our lives, that we might be more determined than ever to pray, to pray, Lord, to pray believing, to pray with passion, to pray with expectation, to pray, Lord, and not doubt. And then, Lord, to be willing, so willing to be a testimony to all those who would listen to how you have moved and worked in our lives. Thank you for this season of worship as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.